question the questions design is a shared language remember that everyone is new to design bring everyone together to collaborate with you embrace change it's okay to iterate it's okay to not get it right the first time and then believe in your voice and as you believe in your voice you will continue to uh, scale that positive impact with what you do Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies, an all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. All right. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am very happy to have with us today Aditi Sharma. And Aditi is a design thinking leader with a passion for user-centered innovation to drive inclusivity, sustainability, and business growth. I'm really excited to hear about Aditi's journey today. Um, Currently, she is the vice president of digital experience design at JPMorgan Chase. Uh, but uh, where she is leading the global design practice for wholesale payment operations for corporate clients. But she also does a lot beyond that official role. So she serves as a lecturer at the prestigious design school, um, several design schools around the world. Her customer experience design program at Pratt has quickly become one of the top 10 programs in the United States. So Um, If you are at Pratt or have considered going to Pratt, be sure to check out that design program. Uh, Recently, the Authority Magazine named Aditi an inspirational woman in STEM. Uh, Besides being regularly featured in various publications such as CX Network, Finance Magazine, South by Southwest, um, that's just a handful. Uh, Prior to JPMorgan Chase, she was at Accenture Interactive, and she she set up customer-centric and product-led programs for corporate giants like Walmart, DuPont, and Cargill. Um, So Aditi, thank you so much for joining the pod. We're so happy to have you. Where are you Zooming in from today? Thank you, Tiama. I'm so excited to be here. Interestingly, I'm in London. My home base is in New York, but I'm visiting London on an assignment. So yeah, I'm, I'm in, in your town. Ah, fantastic. Well, we're excited to have you. The city is better for your, for your um, being here. I'm certain of it. So Aditi, uh, it's really great to have you here today, and um, you're a really interesting profile. I think, you know, many of us listening um, have probably, you know, been exposed to kind of the doctrine of, you know, product trios or, you know, the core, the optimal product team as including, you know, product manager or product owner, um, engineer or, you know, developer and then designer. And yet I would say still, um, even though from kind of a thought leadership perspective and certainly, you know, trends in product uh, best, best practices, that designer is a, a core part of the trio. I mean, obviously, you and your experience uh, throughout your career, you've really had to kind of fight for getting design that seat at the table. Um, tell us just a bit about, you know, design and, and why you're so passionate about it. And I, I think, thank you for asking me that question. It's, 
one thing that that I see around us is design thinking becoming this buzzword uh, for many organizations. But this question really takes me back to my early years into all of these boardroom meetings, usually full of men making decisions around what to do next with their product strategy. And there was a theme in all of these meetings, Tiyama, and they generally edged on this boundary between self-assurance and overconfidence. And no one really addressed this elephant in the room. There is no research to back their perceptions on what our customers really want. And my journey has been to really advocate for that experience-led approach, which has been missing in many of these organizations. And today, it's just amazing to see that it's becoming such an important and integral part of how we design products. Um, but during that time, I can tell you that, uh, you know, as, as I've grown up uh, within my childhood as well, like there were so many examples and my parents always taught me that nothing is impossible. That was one word that was never allowed in my home. Uh, so, you know, with that resolve and that belief in the power of design, I just worked twice at, um, as hard take that initiative and really started being okay for standing up for what's right. And I would usually work all night for a big meeting, create visual storylines, and really come back to these executives to prove how profitable it can be to have a customer-centric approach. So it's really been a mix of that passion and practice um, to overcome this challenge of First, finding my voice as a woman leader, and second, to get investments um, in design-led product development. I think one of the things that anyone listening who has advocated for design knows that sometimes you can feel like you're advocating for design for designer's sake, right? Um, in fact, I can even think about, you know, people on my teams in the past have been like, I don't want to be the designer in the room arguing for things just for design's sake. Um, do you identify with, you know, the fear that's behind that statement? Do you understand it? Like, talk to us about what you would say to somebody who said something like that. I absolutely identify with it. Um, and I have been in situations myself, uh, just finding my voice uh, as a designer and to really advocate for what user experience really stands for. It's not just about prettying up screens or thinking about improving the look and feel. It really goes beyond that. It's about focusing on your customers. It's about empathizing with them, listening to them, and looking at design as a shared language. So thinking about collaboration and connecting dots around your organizations, because I feel like for a big company like JP Morgan, one of the biggest things that I've seen is there are many silos that end up cropping up um, across the organization without any visibility from stakeholders. And one thing that design does um, is really bring different mindsets together. Um, and of course, it takes a lot of courage. Um, you know, a lot of times I've heard that unless I'm ready for it, I won't go venture into design or I won't stand up for what I believe in. But uh, confidence is something that comes only after you show courage for standing up for what you believe in. 
So really looking at questioning the questions, staying away from any assumptions and going behind that why. Why are we building this product feature? And unless we really question the questions, we, we can't get to a clear OKR for your team. Um, and it's really rooted in understanding who are my personas? What are their motivational triggers? What's influencing them? What's their environment like? And then putting this outcome-driven story behind everything you do. So whether it's in a business setting, whether it's uh, you driving operational goals or experience goals, I think going back to that questioning the questions, that's the second thing that I would say. Um, and then the third thing that comes to mind is just, again, embracing change. Um, Yama, one thing that I've seen in product-led organizations and something that I, I truly admire is that they don't think that it's once done and never to go back to that product ever again. It's almost about keeping that measuring um, up and really understanding the impact that your products are having. It's always about learning and going from hypotheses to concepts to prototypes. And you can only learn by multiple validation sessions that will happen with your users along the way. So having that agile and iterative process without the pressure of getting it right the first time will really release you and make you feel amazing as a designer and help you collaborate with others so that you can take this journey together. And then, you know, again, just going back to believing in your voice. Uh, one story that comes to mind is uh, Bob Ebling, uh, right? The engineer who, who warned NASA and spent a third of his life consumed with the guilt about explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. And that onus not just falls on the team members, but also us leaders who must create this psychological safe space for everyone to feel heard. You can avoid disasters by just sharing that ownership and listening to those who may not be on the same page as you. So for me as well, when I'm working with my design team, I make sure to spend one-on-one -on -one time at least twice um, in a month, uh, you know, just meeting with my direct reports, making sure that I'm hearing directly from them around things that I may not be um, uh, wary of, any blind spots uh, that we may have as a design team as well. So just really encouraging everyone to believe in their voice, to create that psychological safe space for everyone to share. And one last thing that comes to mind is, of course, just giving back. It's essential as designers, as product leaders, to carve out time uh, to share your experiences with others. Um, and that will help you really believe in what you do and see that positive impact come to life. Um, so like, like you said, like for me, being a visiting faculty at design schools like the Pratt Institute in New York, where I've had the pleasure to coach over 300 designers in digital transformation. 
And that um, really helped me understand what are things that newcomers or say even fresh designers uh, need to develop. Uh, we really talk about T-shaped designers in our industry and how do you develop that? I think that comes from having courage to stand up for what you believe in. And more recently, when the pandemic hit us, um, it was really bad in India. And, you know, again, that designer in me that uh, actually came out. Um, I was on a call with a friend of mine who said, um, you know, he, he was, of course, based in India. And he told me that, hey, you, you can't really do anything about this pandemic. And that triggered that designer in me. I thought about how could I really approach this, um, you know, having that product-led thinking in mind. So I started to bring together a team of volunteers on the ground and created this digital presence for the group where we could monitor COVID cases, um, we could monitor requests for oxygen concentrators, and also look at places that needed food supplies. And at the end, by creating this value-driven milestone and attaching every dollar spent to the impact that it created, we could secure funding from corporations. And at the end, when we really um, supplied these oxygen concentrators to remote villages, got food rations, um, to especially for those uh, who were out of their jobs, and helped in setting up makeshift hospitals, all of that led to me believing as a design leader that we can change the world together. And that, again, will help you as a newcomer in the field to stand up for what you believe in. So in summary, I would say that question the questions. Design is a shared language. Remember that everyone is new to design. Bring everyone together to collaborate with you. Embrace change. It's okay to iterate. It's okay to not get it right the first time. And then believe in your voice. And as you believe in your voice, you will continue to uh, scale that positive impact with what you do. It's really inspiring to hear you speak about this, Aditi. Um, and there's two things that you said that I kind of I'd like to dig into. So one was uh, you said that confidence is something that comes from courage to stand up for something you believe in, right? So through standing up for something you believe in, um, and having the courage to do that, you build confidence. That's one aspect. And then the other thing that you mentioned is, um, the importance of ROI, tying ROI to your, your design, um, you know, work. If you compare, you know, your philosophy today um, with so much experience under your belt to where you were when you started the journey. Um, what, what comes to mind with those two kind of polar, polar, you know, not polar opposites, but two ideas, right? Like there's the ROI for everything you do. And then there's the confidence to stand up for something because you believe in it. Um, talk, talk to us about your journey there. It's, it's such, such an interesting question because it takes me back again to, to where I started. And, um, you know, I, I'll share some personal stories here just to help the listeners also connect to where, where that passion really started. Um, and for me, uh, 
my story began in India um, and I grew up as the youngest of three girls. And as I was growing up, I was always inspired by these tales of strong women leaders. And that humble upbringing uh, rooted in social consciousness helped me approach life with this inherent curiosity and awareness from an early age. And that sense of confidence uh, really came from me observing my parents. Um, we really had limited resources um, and I would ask my parents to get me new toys and sometimes I would be denied that ask because, uh, you know, they would rather spend that money to sponsor causes like girl education or accessibility for senior citizens. And these observations really helped me shape my advocacy for user-centered design thinking. And then that power, that passion really comes from what you believe in. Um, and today, if I really look at um, how's, how's that translating from where we started um, to understanding how, what that balance is of um, the, the passion part and then the practice part, um, I think uh, as, as I'm scaling the design practice in JP Morgan, it's about finding uh, that practice and passion really go hand in hand. Um, I am really focused on building products that are centered um, around what our users are, are looking for. And that when combined with uh, a lean UX design process where you can bring together multiple uh, cross-functional teams to work on a unified vision, I think that's where you can start to put some of that ROI, some of that understanding of that impact that I'm creating. Um, and as I'm heading up the wholesale payments operations uh, practice today, um, we are looking at global audiences across EMEA, APAC, and North America. And that's quite a diverse audience to design for. And uh, for me, when I started, um, I had a really small design team um, in US about a year ago. And since then, we've quadrupled in size. Um, and that's really happened because I've always believed in the power of a hybrid design pod, uh, where I celebrate not just the diversity uh, that comes from who you are, what you look like, but also how you think, your cognition, um, and then what you practice, your experience as a person. So if you were to meet my team today, you will see um, chemists being a part of the team. There's uh, physicists, there's um, even uh, someone who I hired uh, who used to be an artist. Uh, so it's really a mix of people, a mix of skill sets, because that's really needed when you're solving complex problems, especially in a large corporate finance firm like JP Morgan. And this idea of bringing this diverse mindset on the table has helped me scale this customer-focused design process because everyone with their diverse backgrounds can sort of bring to the table something that may be a blind spot for any stakeholder. 
Um, and when you start to bring together that with technology, product, and business being on the same table with you, this lean UX framework, which is iterative and agile, can start to connect these multiple skill sets to inform a successful product strategy and go to market uh, research, like un just understanding what gaps exist, um, you creating these hypotheses together, testing these solutions, um, creating service design blueprints to connect dots uh, so that all of that can inform your product roadmaps that are driven in success criteria that may come from your operational side, your business side, or your experience side. Um, so it's really bringing together um, just, of course, that diversity, but also appreciating uh, someone else's thoughts, their mindsets, creating a space for them so that we can iterate together, we can be agile, and it's okay again, right? Like we can go through this process together um, and come out with a solution that's really um, ingrained in what our customers are looking for. And then never stop learning. Keep measuring what you've created so that the next version can be better and so on and so forth. Uh, there is a design lead on my team, an interesting story comes to mind, who, who always tells me that, um, Aditi, the next quarter will be better than this one. And that's something uh, that's really helped my design team um, to, to be okay uh, with iteration, to be okay to say uh, that, you know, we, we are still learning. And unless we really test our solutions with our customers, um, we can't be okay with this going out to the world. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, many people who may be inspired by the impact that you're talking about, right? The, the you know, design is about so much more than, you know, creating prototypes or telling you how to build something, right? It's so much more impactful. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to convince either their, you know, executive team, uh, you know, stakeholders or, or colleagues, or, um, you know, to kind of convince their management that we need to have a more empowered and more evolved sense of design within our organization? I think for me, uh, something that's uh, helped this journey is again, a uh, visual storytelling. Um, just spending the time to understand at a very high level, what sort of questions am I trying to solve for here? Uh, just going behind that why, what, and how, uh, something that I also talk about with my students at Pratt, uh, where I have them do this exercise of just taking a piece of paper um, and just coming back with an analysis of why do they want to create uh, that product? What will they create in that product? And then how will they achieve uh, the vision of that product? So sort of going through that exercise and even just putting it down on a piece of paper will help you go back with that elevator pitch to your stakeholders. 
Um, and, you know, my story has been interesting as well, because I have been, you know, along my journey, uh, been a one man army, uh, where I started at uh, these digital agencies where I would do research, I would do visual design, I would do um, uh, any, uh, you know, branding or marketing collaterals. So really one stop shop. Uh, for me. And that really helped me sort of develop this diverse skill set uh, that I could then sort of look at, okay, at a very high level, how do I start to connect the dots across the organization? And then how do I bring it together for someone who's sitting in the executive leadership team to tell them about the value that this idea or this product is going to drive for them? I think executives today are more interested in understanding what their customers want and to really analyze the gaps that exist in their business today more than ever before. Um, and as a design leader, or if you're just a, a design practitioner, an individual contributor, or a manager looking to scale design in your organization, I would recommend start by connecting the dots uh, by practicing what we call in our in our design industry service design and service design is really creating these blueprints to help executives plan and organize business resources. Um, and when you start to put these blueprints together, understanding what your client journey is, what are their pain points? And then you may have uh, internal clients as well. So really looking at what is that employee journey? How is your client and internal employee sort of interacting with each other? What are the gaps that exist? Some pain points, opportunity areas that exist around those pain points. And then really looking at any in-flight programs that you can start to connect together to say, okay, this is how everything comes together. And these blueprints for me has really helped me sell the power of design to connect these dots, to really understand um, uh, you know, the, the business gaps that exist. So I think design is really an enabler in any business. And if you look at what, what it does, it really unites the backstage and front stage processes, such as uh, the people, the props, um, and when it does that, it improves the employee's experience, your client's experience directly or indirectly. Um, so again, my biggest advice will be uh, really understand that why, what and how, create service blueprints, um, go and socialize them as much as possible, even put like 10 minutes on someone's calendar and go say that, hey, I have an elevator pitch for you. And I just want to talk about what design can do for your product-led organization. And when I really think about what this podcast is doing um, as well, Diyama, uh, I really think that when I think about being product-led, you can't really take out design uh, from it. So uh, again, just continue to socialize, continue to find the time and use service design to connect the dots so that you can say to these executives that design is an enabler that will help you improve employee and client experience. 
I, I would love to hear, I mean, you've already mentioned kind of the product-led approach you took to solving um, solving some problems on the ground in India and also feeling like you were able to make an impact during COVID. What, what would you say being product-led means in your mind? For me to really answer that question, I think let's start by looking at what product means to me. Um, and when I think about that, my, my father would tell me the story uh, about Betty Crocker cake mixes from the 1950s, uh, which required homemakers to add water to a ready-to-eat cake mix. Um, despite making this process easy, the sales were nowhere close to expected. Um, and, you know, it was really Ernest Dichter, um, the man who coined the term focus groups, who made this revelation that women wanted to feel more involved in that cake baking process and that cake mixes should require them to add an extra ingredient. So this is why you see that today in these cake mixes, you have to go out, get fresh eggs and really feel a, you know, a part of this process. Uh, so that's what product means to me. Um, and when I extend it to being product led, to me, it means being inclusive and being going beyond your preconceived notions. Um, so it takes a lot of, um, you know, listening uh, to your customer's pulse, um, connecting dots for that well-informed go-to-market strategy, collaborating with others. I couldn't stress on that enough. And again, just sharing ownership, whether it's in success or in failure, because great products really emerge from empowered cross-functional teams. It's about breaking silos between the business and the product, being customer focused, where you're not really seeing, uh, you know, that one size fits all. It's all about customization. Um, and that will only come from when you keep listening, learning, um, and problem solve together as a team. I think that's great advice. I mean, one of the things I was thinking earlier when you were talking about your current team, right? You said you have a physicist, a chemist, I believe an art of artist on that team. What do you what do you think of when you go about hiring? How do you try to think about building that diversity? And as you mentioned, diversity is not reflecting one dimension of an individual, right? It's you know multi-dimensional. What what advice do you have for people who think, yeah, I really want to get that diversity of cognition. I want to get that diversity of perspective. I want my products to be stronger because when we come together and have a cross-functional team, we're pulling from such deep and varied backgrounds. That's such a great question, Tiama. And, and I think one thing that you hear a lot about now is inclusive design. Um, and inclusive design for me has always been ingrained in what I do since the very start of my career. Um, and for me, I think that diversity goes beyond what's visible. Uh, how do you look as a person, your race, your gender, uh, what sex you identify with? to invisible factors, um, cognitive. So really thinking about um, as a human being, how do I approach this? How do I think about it? And then what are my experiences like? What are some of my practices, maybe some assumptions that I've made in my life or I've been taught um, as I was growing up? 
um but as you understand human beings right it's it's really looking at that that user psychology that can be extended to all human beings um and that can be applied in two places uh, one as a leader in how you hire and two as a product manager or a cpo in what you're creating so for me i have made it my mission to hire more diverse teams whether it's uh, based on how uh, they identify um, as a human being with you know their background uh, their culture uh, their age and then what do they do how do they think their motivations beliefs and personalities um and just to have that diverse team uh, together um is is quite incredible it's very powerful when i'm running these daily design standups or when i'm seeing them run these uh, workshops when they're collaborating uh, with product owners or when they are selling their designs to executives everyone brings their background their culture how they think for uh, to the forefront um it, and it's quite visible in how they even defend their design decisions um and that uh, i think uh, has helped me also work on some uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives at jp morgan uh, that is really helping us push inclusion and diversity as a shared principle and as a shared responsibility for all so that is mainly around the hiring practices as a leader but if you apply this now uh, inclusion and diversity to how you design products um inclusive design is not just limited to following accessibility guidelines in your product design like i hear that a lot that hey my my design uh, follows the the right uh, color contrast has the right font sizes i think it's a great start don't get me wrong i think it's absolutely brilliant that you're doing that in your company but i think you need to go beyond that it's about creating that inclusive product strategy um especially when you are servicing multiple personas uh, so for me where my customers come from all parts of the world i really need to focus on creating these functional role based personas which are enriched with behavioral and attitudinal data so that uh, when they need the product uh, today um, it can be customized to their preferences um, to any limitations that they may have or any specific needs uh, that they may have um, so again just approaching inclusive design practices uh, more holistically um is incredibly important so that you can create products uh, that work well for everyone and not just uh, good enough for one person alone i think one of the things that you know comes to mind when talking about this is again you know selling the benefit of this right so earlier you said one of the things that you advise people is to take visual storytelling um to the extreme and and use that approach to actually sell the ROI of what you're doing you know i can think of multiple points in my own uh journey where i've been advocating for Uh, let's call it inclusive design right whether it is something as basic as accessibility guidelines or whether it's something as uh maybe expansive as saying you know we need to look at the product development process and 
make sure that we are being inclusive in each step of that process, right? Um, and I think, you know, the biggest hurdle that I personally experienced, and I think, you know, it would be good for us to speak a little bit about is selling that in at a decision-making level. You know, even when I'm, I've been at the executive table myself, having to justify why we're going to take time in a sprint to focus on that. Um, I certainly have found, you know, creating a visual to explain that to be useful and also tying it to the corporate initiatives of our customers and showing, hey, look, they have dedicated focuses in these areas. Um, any other advice for someone thinking like, yeah, but, you know, I keep running into these challenges or I keep running into these um, objections on us spending time focusing on these things that maybe don't have as clear of a bright line to revenue generation. Yeah, Tiama, like that's definitely a trend um, that I see everywhere. And to combat that, um, I'll, I'll give some, uh, you know, just some practical advice uh, to our listeners around uh, what they can do in, in their company. Um, so one thing that helped me uh, was to start uh, from a place of uh, just coming together with everyone on your team and saying, what do we know about this project today? Uh, let's take away all of our assumptions. Let's take away uh, anything that we may know of from before and come together and look at what is it that we are trying to do. And one practical way of doing it is um, uh, to create these uh, creative briefs. And a creative brief um, is just a set of questions, um, understanding the who, who are we servicing, um, the what, what are we trying to create? And again, that, that why, uh, which should be at the center of all of your design decisions. It's basically just a set of five or six questions that I have my team send to any stakeholder who's looking to engage design. Uh, right. And a lot of times the, the request that I've got in my career is, um, hey, we already know what we are trying to create and we just want you to come in and to create a wireframe for us. That's all we are asking you to do. Um, and like one thing, again, that creative brief does is to bring to the forefront any gaps that they may have in their understanding. Um, and again, like using that creative brief, uh, you can start to build up this decision tree. And that decision tree, Tiama, comes from that lean UX design framework that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so going through that discovery, definition, design, and delivery cycle, um, and interlacing your sprints along the way. Uh, and again, to make it more practical, you can think about creating these decision trees uh, where you take that creative brief, you go back to your stakeholders and you say, okay, based on this creative brief, I still have some outstanding questions around the why. And when you push them, it starts to bring again uh, to light uh, things that they may not know enough about around why are they creating that feature? Why are we spending that tech budget on creating something that may not be valuable or desirable for our users? Um, so another thing, I think just that decision tree where you can go from, I need to do explorative research where I need to meet with just 
two users. Don't even give me 100 users. Like I'll keep it really, really lean and just give me two super users or two users or five users or even 10 users, any number that you can start with and start to put that in within a sprint. So you say, okay, I'm going to run a discovery sprint for a week, that's it. And within that discovery sprint, I'll do stakeholder interviews, I'll do user interviews. And as I'm doing them, I will also invite you, my stakeholders, so that you can start to look at what a day in the life of these users looks like. Um, and as you do that, just reading those um, research insights out to the, the team uh, will bring up such interesting conversations. And the more you ingrain your team members in this process, the more they'll support you to do these things even, even more. Um, so from my own experience, when I started my journey as a designer, uh, I felt uh, the same way where I was just going in and doing the, the things as, as an afterthought um, and really creating screens without giving a ton of thought into why was I doing it. And this goes back to the courage uh, part, uh, something that, that I was taught as a kid to always ask questions. Um, and I remember me sitting in this uh, presentation, I was a really young designer starting out my journey and I was by some, some uh, you know, chance taken to this very critical client meeting um, where I was supposed to present some uh, visual designs uh, to this client. And as I brought up the visual design, what I had done just the previous night was created uh, just a slide around the why. Why had I taken those design decisions? And one thing uh, in bold red on that slide was assumptions. Uh, and I called out every assumption that I had made along the way to come up with that visual design. And as I went through these assumptions, of course, I, I got an earful after that. <laughs> but just me going through that process um, with this client changed uh, our complete design engagement with them. Uh, they literally, like after we went through this visual design process, they asked us to uh, recruit uh, some of their customers to run usability sessions, something that my agency at the time did not believe in. They just believed in churning wireframes and getting that uh, you know project closed. Uh, but that was the time where our clients said, Absolutely, we, we see that there are many assumptions being made here and they involve their, their market research team and we could recruit clients, uh, uh, customers to just sit with us and to give their feedback on what they thought uh, about the interaction design. Um, and that changed uh, the journey from there on. I think it just um, helped me believe more and more along the way um, that any design decision should be ingrained in that why, and then start with that creative brief, go out, ask for that why, what, and how, Tell them that, hey, you're assuming a lot of things. And I would really like to understand the, the reason uh, behind this product feature. 
And the more and more you do that, I think uh, just showing that value in your design work as well, uh, and then the impact that you will have uh, with your customers, of course, increase along the way. Uh, and that will, again, help you change uh, how you lead with the design uh, in your organization. I think that's really practical advice uh, and will be exceptionally helpful for people internally uh, or externally listening to this. So, um, okay, Aditi, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I wish we could keep going um, on this, but we're at the point of the show where we start to wind down. And that means I get to ask you my favorite question. So um, uh, if there was a museum in the world dedicated to the most important products, um, right? They don't have to be the most successful. It's just the most important. What products would you put on display and why? Wow. Very, very interesting question and such an incredible way to close the show as well. Um, so for me, I think the, the first one that my team has found very useful um, in these uh, past uh, months um, is a digital whiteboarding tool. Um, so, uh, you know, tools like Figma, Mural, um, they have really been a lifesaver, uh, especially when it comes to facilitating any design thinking workshops or collaborative sessions. Uh, so definitely a digital whiteboarding tool. I don't know how will they put it in a museum, maybe, uh, maybe some sort of, uh, uh, you know, some sort of digital way to, to place it. Um, the second one, uh, I, I think the second one should be Etsy. Uh, for me, Etsy has been changing the market landscape for artists and small businesses uh, by giving them a platform to share and to sell. Um, and similarly for buyers as well, who can get these bespoke pieces uh, directly from artists. Um, you know, again, a story comes to mind where uh, I bought this beautiful uh, Indian jewelry piece uh, from this lady in Rajasthan uh, who has six kids and uh, she was a single mother and she was just trying to make ends meet and she met a tourist in Rajasthan who got her to open up an account uh, on Etsy. And since then she's been selling. Um, and just that story, right? That, can, that could only happen with a platform like Etsy um, and some other platforms that, do, that are doing uh, uh, similar amazing work. Um, and then the last one, uh, I think I take it really back um, 64,000 uh, or so years ago. Um, you know, the, the first red hand stencil um, in Spain, in a cave in Spain, um, which is known to be made by a Neanderthal. Um, I think, again, it just goes back to uh, the, the very first sign that humans have been innately creative. I love that. Uh, such great suggestions. And I wish I could see them come to life in the museum, Aditi. It's been so lovely to have you on today. Thank you for talking to us about uh, your passion for design. I know that it was infectious for me, and I assume uh, there will be many people inspired by today's episode. Thank you so much, Tiama, for having me. It's been uh, truly a pleasure to talk about the power of design. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. 
Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product. 